Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 20. Scripture reading this morning will be Luke chapter 20, verse, beginning at verse 45, reading through verse 4 of chapter 21. If you are using one of the Pew Bibles, you will find Luke 20, 45 on page 880. And as Jim mentioned, in these verses, we will see a contrast, a, a sharp contrast between the false religion of the scribes and the true religion or the true faith of a poor widow. The one will be condemned while the other will be commended. And so we need God to grant us his Holy Spirit that we might see and understand the difference between the two, that we might Avoid the one and practice the other. Let us read it together. Luke chapter 20, beginning at verse 45. This is the very word of God. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. This is the reading of God's word. Let us pray and ask for his blessing upon the preaching of his word here this morning. Father God, we do ask that you would lead us into your truth this morning. We ask that by your Holy Spirit you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we might be sanctified by your truth and that we might be equipped to bring forth its fruit in our lives for the good of your kingdom and the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing we notice in this passage is that Jesus is no longer talking to the Jewish leaders. He's he's no longer talking to the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, as they were called back in verse 1 of chapter twenty. They have been his conversation partners up to this point in the chapter. And we we know that they've been going back and forth. They have asked Jesus questions and Jesus has asked them questions. But now, Jesus' conversation with the leaders is finished. We're told in verse 45 that in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples... So this is not a private conversation. He hasn't taken his disciples off to the side to to teach them privately. He is speaking within the hearing of the people, but he is now addressing his disciples. He, He is no longer conversing with the leaders. I don't have time to explore it fully this morning, but there is a lesson in that. There is a a lesson in, in Jesus cutting off the conversation and turning to his disciples. Proverbs tells us that there is a time to answer the fool, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And there is a time not to answer the fool, lest you become like him in his folly. 
Jesus knows the difference, and he has decided that the time to answer the Jewish leaders, the the time to respond to their questions and to uh, lob questions of his own, that time is over. That it is no longer fitting, it is no longer helpful, it is no longer beneficial to engage them. They have demonstrated beyond reasonable doubt that they are not interested in the truth. And so therefore he turns from them to teach his disciples. And it is the lesson that he wants to teach his disciples that is going to be our focus this morning. And we will see that that lesson comes in two parts. First, he warns them to beware of the scribes. And then he calls on them to behold the widow. And I want us to consider both parts of this lesson this morning. Let's begin with the warning. Jesus warns his disciples to beware of the scribes. And he follows up this warning with a a, a considerable description of who the scribes are, of what they are like. He, He tells us that they like to walk around in long robes. He tells us that they love to be greeted in the marketplace. They love to be seated in the best seats when they go to church. Now, whether those are in the front or the back, you'll have to decide. But they they love to be seated in the best seats. They love the places of honor at, at feasts. But they are willing to devour widows' houses. And they make long prayers for a pretense. The first four items, those mentioned in verse 46, they they describe the temporal blessing of the scribe's position. We we hear that term scribe quite a bit, but who were these people? Who were the, the scribes? They were the official Bible teachers of Israel. They were the ones who, who studied the law for a living and, and taught the people how to keep it. And there were certain perks in that society that came from being a Bible teacher, even as there are certain perks to being a, a pastor in the, the South. That there are perks to, to being a pastor. There are perks to someone seeing you as a, a Bible teacher. And the scribes truly loved those perks. They loved the, the benefits that con- came with their petition. In fact, that was their, their focus. That's what they loved most about their work. And thus, when they prayed, it was nothing more than a pretense. They did it to be seen by men. They did it to make sure that everybody knew who they were, that that they were the truly religious, that they were truly sincere believers. They they prayed to to put on a show. As Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount, they did it to be seen by men. And that their motives were such is seen clearly in the fact that That they were so devoted to themselves and they were so devoted to their advantage and they were so devoted to what they got out of being scribes that they were willing to devour widows' houses. We don't know for sure what that phrase means. Different commentators have, have guessed different things. There are any number of ways that they might have defrauded widows out of what little income they had. We, we don't know exactly how they were devouring their, their houses, but to devour the house clearly means that they were taking advantage of these widows to advance their own interests. They were taking advantage of these widows in order, in order to what? In order to, to make their own lives more comfortable. In order to, to, to make their own name great. In order to, to advance their own interests. And Jesus tells us, as plainly as he can say it, that they will receive the greater condemnation. 
And there are some who are troubled by that word greater. They don't understand how some condemnation can be greater than another. But this is the consistent teaching of Scripture. Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is required. The one who knowingly shakes his fist in God's hand and and goes his own way will receive a greater condemnation to the one who sins in ignorance. Elsewhere in Luke's gospel, he says that the one who, who sins knowingly will receive many lashes. The one who sins in ignorance will receive few lashes. And the scribe's condemnation will be greater because their knowledge of God's word should have borne better fruit. They had studied the word. They, they knew the word. And that word should have produced fruit in their lives. But it hadn't. Their religion was a sham. They were, they were hypocrites. They, they, they did their righteousness only to be seen by men. Their hearts were set on the blessings, the, the, the temporal blessings that they enjoyed in this life. Jesus warns that they will be condemned for their hypocrisy. This is, of course, a a sober warning to to pastors and and teachers today. Pastors and and teachers need to, to hear this carefully because they need to understand that it is a dreadful thing. To practice religion for show. It is a a dreadful thing to to practice religion to gain the praise of men. To be devoted to self instead of to God. Even as we pretend to worship and serve Him. But of course it's not a warning only for pastors and teachers. It is really a warning for all in the church today. All in the church who who sit under the preaching of the word. All who have greater opportunity than than most throughout history to, to read and to study and to understand God's word. We must ask ourselves whether the spirit of the scribes dwells in our hearts. Are we devoted to ourselves or are we devoted to God? I heard a report uh, this past week, or I read it in a book. I can't remember exactly where I, where I saw it. But, but the, the report said that, that church attendance in the South is far less than is claimed. If you ask people how often they go to church, they will tell you far higher numbers than the actual facts would support. People claim to be followers of Christ. They they claim to be devoted. But in actual practice, they love their weekends. And they they love doing their own thing. And they love going their own way. We must ask ourselves, does the spirit of the scribes dwell in our hearts? Are we interested in the temporal blessings? Are our hearts set on the, the advantages we can gain in this world? Or is our hearts set on serving God? What is our treasure? How can we tell? Well, one way that we can test ourselves is to to look at how we respond to correction. Notice how the scribes have responded to correction throughout the whole chapter up to this point. Jesus has has answered their their questions. He He has corrected the false assumptions behind their attacks. And he has asked questions of our own trying to lead them to the truth. 
But time and again, how have the leaders responded? How have have the scribes responded? They have been unwilling to hear. They have been unwilling to listen. They have been unwilling to receive the rebuke or the correction. Rather, they have simply defended themselves and gone on the attack. It's a question for us. How do we respond when someone points out some area of our life that is out of accord with the truth? When someone points out to you that what you're doing is not becoming a child of God or that that it's not consistent with your faith or it's out of accord with your hope, how do you respond? Do you take offense? Do you defend? Do you attack? Or do you receive their correction as a blessing? It's not easy to do. It's not It's not natural. But if your heart is set on fellowship with God, if your heart is set on on your devotion to Him, then you will receive their correction willingly. The same way that a player receives the correction of a coach. I want to get better. I want to to be more skilled. I want to know better how to play this, this game. Show me what I am doing wrong. I remember when I was learning to play chess. I would go to this chess club at, at Borders Bookstore in St. Louis, and I would lose game after game after game. But the people there were kind and they were gracious. And after the game was over, after they had beaten me soundly, they would take me back through the game and they would tell me, okay, here's where you made your mistake. Here's where you lost the game. I didn't take offense. I was glad that someone was finally showing me how to play this game that I was so bad at. They were showing me how to do it better. Where is your heart? How do you respond to correction? The scribe responded with self-defense an attack. And that was an indicator of what was going on in their heart. A second indicator is, is your use of privilege. We don't like that word today. It kind of rubs us the wrong way, but it's a word we need to reckon with. We are a people of privilege. That privilege may come from any number of sources. It's not wrong to have privilege. It's not wrong to be blessed. But what do you do with it? How do you use your Privilege. The scribes loved the privileges that were theirs as the, the teachers of the law. They, they loved the, the benefits that they got and they used it for their own advantage. In fact, they were willing to use it against the most defenseless if it advanced their cause, if it advanced their interests. How do we use our privilege? How do we use the advantages that we have, the resources that God has so graciously put at our disposal the spirit of the scribe will use those advantages for self but this stands in stark contrast to what james calls true and pure religion he says true religion is this that you would visit the widows and orphans in their affliction that you would come alongside them that you would come along to bless them that you would use what is yours to advantage them tim keller says that you do not say you for me but rather me for you Let me give myself for your benefit rather than using you for the benefit of myself. It's a question we must ask ourselves. The the spirit of the scribes would lead us to use our privilege to advance our own interests. A third test, a third question we can ask ourselves is this. What is the nature of your private religion? What is the nature of your private religion? religion is your religion is your your practice of the faith is it merely for public show or is it the sincere expression of your heart one way to judge is of course to ask what you do 
in private? Is it the same as what you do in public? Do you come to worship in public, but then in private never give God a second thought? Do you pray in in public to be seen by men, but never when you are alone? It's a question we must ask ourselves. Public worship is good. We are called to to do it, but it must be a, a continuation and an extension of what we do in private. There, there must be a back and forth. They must be connected. We must pray in private and in public. When Jesus tells us to, to pray in our closets, he doesn't mean that we should never pray in church when we can be seen by others, but he does mean that you should not pray in church to be seen by others. You pray as the sincere expression of your heart. The scribes They were more interested in the temporal blessings of this world and therefore for them, religion was just a show. It was just a way to to gain more prestige. It was a a way to gain greater honor. It was a way to, to move people to give them even greater blessings. I want to say to each of us this morning that as believers, we must be on our guard against the spirit of the scribes. We are not immune to such things. In this life, the the, the temptations of the pleasures of the world are strong. And they will lure and entice us. And we must stand on guard. And when we find the spirit of the scribes rising up in our hearts, we must fight against it. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we must put it to death. Because John says that to love the world is not to love God. The two are mutually exclusive. You can't do both. It's the same point that Jesus makes when he says you cannot serve both God and money. It's one or the others. We must set our hearts on the treasures and the pleasures of the age to come. We must make our devotion to God and to his name and to his kingdom and to his glory. And we must sacrifice all thoughts of advancing ourselves and our own interest and making a name that will be great for ourselves. This is what we must do. We must look at the scribes and we must hear the warning of Jesus. We must ask God for the grace to put to death this spirit as it rises up in our hearts. And we must ask him instead for the grace to put on the spirit of the widow. The widow who who stands in sharp contrast to these scribes. We, We see her in the first part of chapter 21. Look again at what Luke writes. He says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. You can imagine the scene. Jesus is there in the temple. The the alms box is is off to the side and he is watching. He's people watching. And as he he watches the rich come in, he he watches them giving their large gifts, their, their impressive gifts. And then he sees a poor widow. And she comes with two small copper coins. Two coins that together are worth about 50 cents. Worth about one one one-hundredth of a day's wages at minimum wage. It's almost nothing. It's, It's negligible. Certainly it is nothing compared to the generous gifts of the others or, or so the world thinks. But notice what Jesus says. He says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contribute out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. 
Now, in a sense, this widow is a picture of the abuse that Jesus has just been describing at the end of, of chapter 20. She is a victim of the scribes' false teaching. No doubt the the scribes had had taught this poor widow that her relationship to God depended upon her giving. She she needed to give the appropriate sacrifice, and two small copper coins was was the minimum that was allowed. And so she needed to to go through the external motions of religion. She she needed to, to give generously in order to maintain her relationship with God, and therefore this this widow was willing to give all that she had to live on. This is a form of abuse that we still see in the church today. There are pastors out there today who continue to prey on the poor, who continue to to prey on the desperate with their false teaching. They they call upon the poor to give what they, they cannot afford to give so that God might bless them. And we must not think for a moment that Jesus' uh, commendation of the widow in any way justifies such predatory ministry. Jesus is is not meaning that that what this widow does and what this widow has been taught is is good in its own right. Rather, it's good because of what it reflects to us about her heart. Yes, she has been a victim of the scribes' false teaching. They have taken advantage of her. They have devoured her house. But nevertheless, her heart is commendable. Her, Her faith is honorable. She is willing... To give all that she has for the sake of her relationship with God. In some ways, she reminds me of the Macedonian Christians whom Paul describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Do you remember what he says about the, the Macedonian Christians? He says, in a severe test of affliction. So, so in the middle of a severe trial, their abundance of joy, that is their, their abundance of joy in the gospel, the joy that they had received from being called out of darkness into light, the, the joy that they had received to, to having the name of Christ placed upon them. Their abundance of joy together with their extreme poverty came together to do something entirely surprising. It came together to overflow in a wealth of generosity. When their joy met their poverty, in the midst of this great affliction, it overflowed in a wealth of generosity because they gave, as Paul says, according to their means and beyond their means. And it wasn't that Paul was insisting that they do this. It wasn't that Paul was challenging them to to dig deep and to pledge with faith. Not at all. In fact, Jesus, Paul was trying to stop them. Paul was trying to tell them not to give or not to give so much, but they begged him earnestly. They begged him that they might take, have the privilege of, of taking part in the relief of the saints. You see, they understood that, their, that the, the, their full participation, the joy of the gospel, was expressed in their, their giving what they had been entrusted in this world in the service of their king. There was nothing that they would rather experience than his good pleasure in their faithful service. They knew it was small. They knew they couldn't give much, but they wanted to give what they could. In fact, they wanted to give more than they could, that they might know the joy of serving their king by serving his people. It's the exact opposite of what we see in the scribes. The scribes loved the world... And therefore, they were willing to harm others in order to help themselves. That was the the nature of their heart. But this widow, like the Macedonian Christians, 
loved God. She loved God with all her heart, and therefore she was willing to be harmed so that she might serve others in his name. Her faith is an embodiment of what we see said of Moses in Hebrews chapter 11. The author of Hebrews tells us that by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. For he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. It's one of the most challenging verses in all of scripture as far as I'm concerned. Here is Moses. And he considers the reproach of Christ. He, he considers being suffering with Christ. Suffering for the, for the sake of, of Christ and his kingdom. He, he considers that suffering greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. He didn't see himself giving up the greater for the lesser. But rather he saw himself giving up the lesser for the greater. He saw himself giving up the the mere treasures of Egypt, the, the fleeting pleasures of sin, that he might know the true joy of fellowship and communion with God for all eternity. He was looking to the reward, the reward promised, that that inheritance promised to Abraham's children. He set his hope on the glory to come and therefore was able to say no to the treasures and pleasures of this world, to, to walk away in order to be counted among God's people and in order to know the glory of the reproaches of Christ. Moses was able to walk away from the wealth of Egypt because by faith he knew the truth. He knew the true worth of union with Christ and of fellowship with with him. He knew that fellowship with God was undoubtedly his greatest good. It's the same faith we see in this widow. She is willing to, to give all she has Because she considers her relationship with God as of greater value than all the wealth of this age. It reminds me of what Paul says of himself in Philippians chapter 3. He says, whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The surpassing worth. That is your greatest good. That is the good beyond all measure. That is the treasure that that cannot be compared. That is the weight of glory that is being prepared for those who believe in him. This widow does not yet know Christ. She doesn't yet know fully who he is, but she is willing to count everything as loss for the sake of the surpassing worth of her relationship with God. And therefore, when Christ reveals himself, she will be ready to receive him. The the scribes, by other chance, when they saw who Jesus was, they hated him because their hearts were set on the treasures of this world and he would not give them what they wanted. But she was prepared. She was prepared to hear the gospel. She was prepared to receive him because she had set her hearts on a far greater treasure because by faith she was looking for the reward. Her heart was set on fellowship with God and she was willing therefore to give all she had 
in service to him. This is the difference between false religion and true religion. False religion is devoted to self and will harm others to serve itself. True religion is devoted to God and will endure harm to serve others. Jesus condemns the one and commends the other. And therefore, we must ask ourselves. We must examine ourselves. We must test ourselves to see whether the faith of the widow resides in our heart. Whether the faith of Moses, the the faith of Paul, the faith of these Macedonian Christians, whether this is our faith. Or whether, like the scribes, our hearts have been set on the things of this world. If you set your heart on the things of this world, you will come to hate Jesus. You will hate him. Because he will not give you what you want. But if you are like the widow, then you will love him with all your heart. Even when he calls you to pass through the valley of the shadow of death. Because you know that his invitation to come and to even die with him is actually good news. It's good news because the one who dies with him will find true and abundant life. The one who loses his life for his sake will find true life indeed. John Piper tells the story of, of two couples. The first worked hard and saved wisely. In the end, they were able to retire a few years early and now spend a good part of each summer at their small house at the beach. The other couple went to mi- the Middle East. They went there as missionaries right after college. And not long after arriving, they found themselves in the wrong place at the wrong time, and they died in a terrorist attack, random victims. Piper asks, which story do you hear is a tragedy? It's an interesting question to ponder. Which story is a tragedy? May God grant us the grace to count the sufferings of Christ as greater wealth than all the treasures and pleasures of this age, May he open our eyes, even as Paul prays in Ephesians, to truly know and comprehend what are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. It is so easy for us to envy the scribes, to to envy their privilege, to envy their their lives of of ease, the, the prestige that they enjoy, the invitations that they get. And it is so easy for us to feel pity for this poor widow. But Jesus gives us a different perspective. We must never use his teaching, as I said, as an excuse to ignore the needs of the poor. But but Jesus shows us that the poor who know Christ possess far greater wealth than the rich in this age who serve the God of mammon. They cannot begin to comprehend the treasure that is hers. The question is, can you? Do you see the treasure that is hers? Will you set your heart upon it? Will you, will you set your heart upon the glory that can be yours in Christ? Or will you allow your heart to be captured by the treasures and pleasures of this world? Jesus says, leave all. Leave it behind. Let it go. They do not satisfy anyway. Come to me and I will give you true water to drink. I will give you true bread to eat. I will let you feast at my table. The treasures that are yours in me are beyond comprehension. 
May God open our eyes to see the truth of the glory of the treasures that are ours in Christ. The treasures upon which we are about to feast. People of God, do you see all the treasures of God are ours in Christ? Therefore, we do not need the treasures of this world, but we can use them to His glory and the good of our neighbor. And because we have such freedom in Him, that is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let us believe it together. Father God, we do rejoice in your glory. We rejoice in your goodness. We rejoice in the blessings that you have so abundantly poured out on us. We pray now, Father, that you would give us the grace to be like this widow. That you would give us the grace to give all that we have in the service of the King, knowing that in you, through your Son, by your Spirit, we have a far greater reward. We have a seat at your table for all eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.